Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 6, Signe Haraday, The Radical Poetry of a Calling, Act 2, recorded July 9th, 2016, at Courtney's apartment in Brooklyn, New York. So damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hi, TA listeners. I'm going to um, start with a motto. I have this on my Twitter page. Live, love, create, advocate. Remember that. I'm going to start using that more. Hey, so who has seen Black Panther? Uh, I was incredibly excited to see it from literally from the moment that I saw the trailer, which was like about a year in advance of the release. I did a whole lot of research, read some of the graphic novels, the reboot of the graphic novels, and then um, also watched like a whole lot of YouTube and, and some of the animated um, series. I ended up seeing... Black Panther twice in the movies. I never go to the movies. Well, in general, I see the movies pretty seldomly, but I never go back. Um, so for me to go back was really exciting. Um, the first time I watched it, I was really just so enthralled by the action, the story, the costumes, the women, of course, um, the, the, the fierceness of it all. Uh, you know, I got into it. And then the second time around, I really was able to focus on the relationships and the characters and the the exchanges um, and and some of the direction as well. And and I really got into it. Um, oh, and then I saw uh, I was able to to listen to Tanahasi Coates moderate a conversation with Chadwick Bosman and Lapita Nyong'o who uh, were just incredibly, uh, and that was at the Apollo. And they were very, um, well, one, the, 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 the energy in the Apollo was just simply electric. And these two, all three of them actually were, were very, um, you know, intentionally 
thoughtful in their responses and the way that they were talking about their own characters and preparation for the film and, and um, different ways of working with the, the various actors and, and uh, the whole team. Um, I don't know. I just felt like I was a part of something or I, it was the, we're in the middle of something and it was exciting. It was, it was incredibly exciting. I've loved um, all the, um, you know, different clips and, and pieces that have been on social media and in different media platforms and uh, the conversations. It's just been thrilling, absolutely thrilling. And I have an immense amount of pride and just simply love the the celebration it really truly is everything um, around black excellence and black girl magic black woman magic Um, I love the fact that there are now curriculums being built around this film and 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 frankly what will be I'm sure a pretty significant franchise within the Marvel Studio universe and um, everything that's just surrounding this film I just love Wakanda forever in Black Panther there's a character Eric Killmonger who is from Oakland California like the director of the film and another person who lives in Oakland is Dr. Sean Jinwright who is a professor from the University of San Francisco and runs an organization called Flourish Agenda uh in this episode, Signe, Haraday, and I talk about a retreat that she attended with one of her colleagues um, focused on radical healing and restorative justice uh, that was run by Dr. G and Flourish Agenda. And actually now, Signe works for the, the organization. And uh, I've talked about him before, and um, there's actually going to be an uh, episode with him coming coming up um so after getting to know him over the last couple of years I'm actually really not surprised that uh Signe and he uh have connected on a, on a deep level she has such a big heart and a beautiful beautiful soul she has big love for people people she knows people who make up her family and friend unit and community people who are strangers and um, she's very present in the moment uh, absolutely intentional about the way she moves in the world how she interacts with others and I truly feel very privileged to have her in my life she has a lot to share and I hope that you will enjoy this last part of our conversation so please enjoy Signe Haraday, The Radical Poetry of a Calling, Act Two. In terms of love. Hmm, let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. Um, you just recently went to a radical healing event, oh. a retreat. <laughs> yeah, it was called a retreat. And I love those people who facilitated that. And we are going to be in constant contact as best we can. It was also very much like a conference <laughs> in a retreat center. Got it. Um, 
but it was with Sean Jin, right? right? Yep. And Dr. Sean. Flu- Dr. Sean. Dr. Sean. Yeah. I'm going to try to see him, actually, uh, and Nedra uh, later this month, actually. Are they going to be here? No, I'll be in San Francisco. Oh, oh but he met my, uh, my, and we don't have language for this in my family, my daughter, my stepdaughter, my sole daughter, my mm-hmm. extension of my family um, when he was speaking in oh. Minnesota recently. Really? Yeah, it was actually super cool. That's great. So, Sean, Dr. Sean, um, he's somebody that we are cultivating a relationship with or trying to. And um, tell us about the conference last retreat. Well, we love each other. So, that's yeah. a good place to start. Yeah. Dr. Sean and I. Um, tell you about the retreat. Well, it was a, it was a, the idea is to that Flourish Agenda has is to do this retreat, which is really, I, I shouldn't call it a conference, it's really like a training, mm-hmm. introducing them to their healing model uh, with 10,000 social justice educators. There were 10,000? No, they, they want to Oh, do they want to reach 10,000. 10, okay. Which I think is what? a very aspirational goal. I thought goal. there were 35 people there. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. But that but is it, so when they say 10,000, do they mean at a time or over time? Over time, Got over it. time, for sure, over time. Uh, you can't do this work that's, in large yeah. numbers like that. That would be, that's called that, something else. It is right. called something else. And I was going to go down that road. And I was like, we don't have time for that right now. Um, and so this, it's a model to think about radical healing, mm-hmm. to think about how do we do healing for ourselves individually? And also how do we create enough, uh, energy and momentum to create change inside of institutions and organizations that we live and work or are for some reason accountable to. And so that was actually, for me, really profound. So I am a revolutionary, so I think down with the system, create new systems. Overgeneralization here. This model is really encouraging how do you change from within. Um, You might know Race Forward. Uh, They also are an organization that's very interested in how do you shift systemic racism, and Mm -hmm. they're... Their point is that that doesn't happen so much on the individual level that we have to really be thinking about institutional changes. Uh, I think we got to be thinking about both and figure out where do we have the greatest impact to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I appreciated and and do think that there is great work that can be done using these kinds of um, ideas, practices to generate a shift inside of an organization. So uh, that was it in part. And um, I think what was really, some of the main amazing things outside of just an incredible uh, group of facilitators and uh, participants was also the diversity of who was there. I was really impressed. Um, There were other teaching artists and other arts organizations, and we should talk about that at some point too. Mm -hmm. But there, there were also like, school administrators who were fairly high up in a school administrative kind of organizational chart. Mm -hmm. And to see them there um, gave me a a little glimmer of hope um, that I didn't have before I got there. Mm. So that was really um, cool. Um, And I also think, you know, it's intersectionality um, and 
allyship and accomplishment and all of that work and language is is hard work to do. And I think they try to really um they tried really hard I think to acknowledge that. Uh and I think we all have a lot of work to do around that um and how much space individually or collectively we take up or others take up in an, in an environment but yeah. That's good. What is one t- uh takeaway that you have? A huge takeaway for me is actually to what are the ways that I can introduce this model to the organization who uh, sent me there? Mm-hmm. Um, an organization you've, you've heard y- of. You can mention it. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. The New Victory <laughs> Theater. Um, so thinking about how can, and, and it actually, one of the things that, this is not so much a takeaway as a something I'm ruminating on, mm-hmm. um, and my colleague and I have started to have conversations about, is, you know, our organization is very complex. There are many different pieces of it. Mm-hmm. And inside of our one department, we have a, a deep sense of ownership, autonomy, um, connection, collaboration, and all of that. How we fit into the large organization is less clear. Mm-hmm. And I think that it it became clear to us that we need to have some better clarity about that, Mm -hmm. particularly if we want to influence, which I think we do, other parts of the organization around some of these important ideas around radical healing, around social justice, around making a difference in the world, Mm -hmm. which I think, and I maybe rosy-eyed glasses and maybe a bit too optimistic even, I do think artists are particularly well suited to embrace the idea that we can make the world a better place, that there is a, uh, a beautiful value and outcome that happens because art is shared with people and that that experience is a valuable one and that it shapes and shifts us in good ways. Um, And so I think we hope, my colleague and I, and I think others, hope that as a result of this, we can think about how can we influence our organization, even outside of the department, to be thinking about some of those bigger questions. Mm. Um, And invite people into the conversation as they're able. And sometimes maybe even if they're not ready, I I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And those those are not questions which are the best questions to have but questions that I have answers for they really are genuine questions yeah it'll, yeah. Be, it'll be interesting as we, as we move forward because there's yeah. always there's so many things that are happening on multiple levels yeah within any given organization um, yeah you know and sometimes it's, it is a triple a trickle up as opposed to a trickle down mm. um as a, as a starting point, um, you sort of hit the nail on the head for me around artists and change and transformation. That is exactly why I'm doing this, um, because I wanted to somewhat outside of the context of my job, have these conversations and, uh, with people that I admire with people who are working out in the field doing it have different points of view on it um because i i think 
um, essentially that there are so many people who don't actually understand what this work is, A. B, I think that there is a whole uh, world uh, or there are opportunities for discussion, discourse to be had amongst ourselves um, who are in the field. Yes. And um, so one of one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in around uh, this project is um, not only to have these individual conversations, but to figure out how we can create sort of roundtables and, and talk about a very specific topic that is a hot topic or an, uh, a one that deserves time and attention with people as a, as a group. Um, so that's I mean, that's my I'm whole, that's my whole life. I mean, yeah. I, I organize with the new black arts movement. I have million artists movement is another formation that I helped to found. And like, that's, that's what we do. We get into a room and we have meaningful critical conversations that help us to expand our understanding, mm -hmm. deepen our understanding, and create a collective conscience, which is really important work if we, um, if we want to actually affect change. And I do think that the revolution starts with us individually. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's language that some of it I like, you know, and some of it I'm a little weird about, but I do think we want to wake up. I do think that capitalism and white supremacy and colonialism and imperialism have uh, indoctrinated us into a bunch of ideology that's not good for anybody. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that you wake up one day and going, oh, I've, I'm conscious, I'm awake, I'm my mind is decolonized. I just don't think that's how it's, I know that is not how it works. As someone who is committed to decolonizing her mind, I have to actively work at that every day. I have to ask myself questions about where did that idea come from? Is that mine? Is that someone else's? Wait, what am I going to do with that? How has that affected my behavior? It is hard work. It's valuable and, and rewarding work, but it is hard work. And you don't just get to say, oh, I'm good now. I'm not, I'm not a party to colonialism, imperialism, racism. I mean, look, you can be a woman and perpetrate patriarchy. Mm -hmm. You, No man need to be in the room for that to happen. Yep. So if you aren't clear about that and you're not interested in finding out ways how to break that down, then I'm not sure. I, I think it's okay that not everybody is down, but that's the down I'm trying to be all up in, so to speak. So, uh, and that takes active work. That takes getting around to your point, a table with some like and not liked mm -hmm. minded people mm -hmm. to have conversations. I do think talking is important. I also think expression in other ways is important through movement, through sound, through art, um, through love. I think those are all ways too that can help us decolonize our minds. Um, and there are people who have a lot of great theories and research that can help us do that work too. Mm -hmm. I, I think constant study, which is of course an artist is also interested in being a sponge. That's another skill that we bring to this work that is so valuable. It's the ability to take in information and do something with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, great if you wanna read a great book, but if you don't understand anything in it, have you really has it really served you particularly well? Mm -hmm. So that's, I do think that as artists, the ways that we move through the world, that we understand ourselves and each other can be a great gift to other people, um, inviting them into our process.
I, I think that we have the ability better than just about anybody to make long-lasting change that helps us see the full humanity of other people. Mm. And that's what I think all of those terrible things like white supremacy and patriarchy and homophobia and transphobia and Islamophobia and all of those things are really, in my estimation and by the calculations and analysis of people smarter than me too, are trying to diminish others to the benefit of some. Mm-hmm. So I am in the in the business of restoring my own and other people's humanity so that we do not perpetrate that kind of violence against one another. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry because like I know that sounds so heady and but it's no, not. It's it my lived experience yeah. and it's the lived experience of people all over the world and we need to give a damn about children all over the world and people all over the world. This is not um, these social pariahs, viruses, and diseases are not ours alone. They have infested the world, and we have to do our part to disinfect that. And as an artist, how would you rather... uh, Rally, rally other artists in that cause. <sighs> As an artist, how do I rally other artists? It's a great question. Um, I don't have a clear answer for you, Courtney. I'll ask I'll, a different question. Okay. I mean, I, I think one thing is, is that you do the work. You, you lead by example in a kind of way. Mm. Um, so I think that's one way. Um, I, I'm not sure that's what you were getting at. Well, I'm, I'm not sure what I was getting at either. I, I, I think I was asking that in a way, um, because of because I'm not of being your... distracted. I'm. I was working on a poem. Oh, that's really um, not well formed. Uh huh. Um. And um. And so I was just trying to pull up that poem. It's not a good poem, but it was just sort of where I was. I mean, there are you can. I, I as an artist, I get the I get the poem. well, I get the privilege and the joy of saying, um, you know, that sometimes it's not good. Um, I was just trying to see. It's a draft. <laughs> draft is, um, yeah, yeah. What? Did you find it? Yeah, I did. I did. Are you gonna share? Yeah, maybe I will later. Okay. Okay, we'll see. So, uh, Is it, so was that was that was that like anticlimactic? A little bit. Okay. A little bit, but All right. So yeah, <laughs> it's because it's not really okay. Yeah. Well, I I, I have share. another poem that I could share oh, okay. too. Um, actually, that might actually speak to this. Okay. I have two poems. Okay, so go on. <laughs> ask me your question. Well, no, I I mean the the rallying. I asked that, I think, because of your activism. Um, the I guess what I was really trying to ask, though, was either what what would you want other artists to do t- to be addressing all of those things that you just described? 
colonialism, you know, uh, all the phobias and dehumanizing of others. And, or how do we, you know, if it's, it's, there's the individual, but then there's working. So many of our teaching artists uh, or so many teaching artists are working with different populations um, in different uh, environments, right? So there's the school environment, which is a very specific or can be a specific way of, of working um, in that construct. There's community work. There's um, working with seniors. There's working in homeless shelters. There's working in prisons. Um, and the fact that art has the power to transcend, art has the power to save lives, um, ch- change lives, but also save lives, which is something that I've specifically heard a prisoner talk about that I had nothing and and then art came into my life or this particular program or these people came into my life and I got to do something that changed my life changed and then saved it do you know what I'm saying so (laughs) I mean (laughs) you you said a lot and I do know what you're saying and I um I'm gonna go back to the beginning of what you said if that's okay because you said what do I want other artists to do that is what I said and then I went on no, no, yeah, I mean, or I look. I think what I want all people to do um, is to ask themselves that question first: What can I do? Um, and ask, you know, maybe in in, way, in ways it's a little bit like what our conversation is. Ask people what their core values are. What do you believe about yourself in the world? Do you? Because not all artists do. But do you, are you interested in making the world, changing the world in some kind of way f- to, to foster more love, joy, um, uh, uh, to examine and, and reflect the horrors of the world? I mean, what inside of your artistry are you called to do? And I, and I think that's the first question I would maybe ask artists to do. And maybe that's a two question. What are your values? And what, if any change, do you want to affect in this world? Mm-hmm. Then based on that, I think the next steps are, are a little bit like a, a personal mission, um, a, a personal plan of of how to see that into being in your life and, and connecting with other people who can help and rally behind that vision that you have. So you mentioned a lot of different places and spaces where artists work and do create those life changing experiences. And I think people need to find what that place or space is for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So if, if you are, if you are deeply interested in ending the prison industrial complex. What, what does that look like for you? Does that mean working with formerly incarcerated people to help uh, support their journey and their transitions after incarceration? Does that look like working inside of prisons? Does that look like working towards the abolition of prisons? Does that look like what? Um, and I think it's different for every artist. So, uh, I think you have to start where you're at. And that's actually, I mean, that's a good life lesson in general. I mean, I, I mm. can be guilty as charged in terms of wanting to leap over the hurdle that is many hurdles beyond the one that is right in front of me. And that's dangerous and ineffective. So I think it's important to start where you're at and recognize what you want to do. 
do an analysis, you know, what, what's getting in my way, what's preventing me from doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, someone may say, you know what, crap, I don't love myself enough to be able to love somebody else. Mm -hmm. So that might be like, that might be your life's work. And and I got to tell you, um, a dear friend of mine, inside of all this tragedy that we are faced with in an ongoing way and certainly in a heightened way right now, um, an activist, a powerful, deeply beautiful woman felt like in acknowledging her pain and grief about the loss of her father that maybe, maybe she was letting down her people. And I can hear that and I can respect that and I can feel that and I know that even sometimes I can be hard on myself in that way like I'm just not doing enough or I should do more. But what I said to her and I think I I think it's true when we don't allow ourselves to be our full selves, our hurt selves, our crushed selves, our sad selves we are we are we are doing the very thing that white supremacy that patriarchy that all of the capitalism wants us to to do is to feel less than to not feel whole so if your work is to like be on that journey to like love yourself I get that that's for yourself, but that's actually really good for me too. Mm -hmm. That's really good for our community to be in a place where people are, are trying to find their wholeness. And I just thought it was powerful that she was willing to share that in a somewhat public forum. Um, and I, and I don't buy into the, like, everybody's got to be strong and this is what strong looks like. You got to be like the whole you. I think being vulnerable is is a strength. strength. Fuck yeah! And are we allowed being to say able that? To, yeah, and I've been really good to... about not cursing. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> kudos to me. Yeah, kudos. But you know, when the when it calls for it, why not? Okay, so this um, I wrote this poem. Um, and this is not my primary art form. Um, but I wrote this poem a couple weeks ago and I think like it fits very well with what we're saying right now um, and it goes a little something like this it's called um, when will a nagging meditation out of rhythm when will when will when will when will when will, when will my words be powerful? When will, when will, when will my truths be sung like anthems? When will, when will, when will my memories be mine? Not shards of colonial indoctrination cutting and slicing me from within. When will, when will, when will I shake off this numbness so I can feel again, play again, rise again, be again? When will, when will, when will I care enough about myself 
so I can care about you. When will, when will, when will brotherhood feel like sisterhood? When will, when, when, when will, when will standing up, standing up, when will standing up not cost so much? Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I think there is strength and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that when we go into classrooms, when we go into prisons, when we go where it is that we go as artists, Tapping into that sense of loving our humanness is, is the gift we give and hopefully the gift we leave behind. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what's up? What's, what's up? up? What's, what's up? up? That's what's up. That's what's up. Oh, my God. There's a... Uh... There's a question I've been wanting to ask you. Oh, uh, you've been asking me questions all day. Why wait? Why wait? Why wait? (laughs) But when you were reading the poem, I definitely was like, oh, okay, now's the time. Um, What brings you joy? Oh, gosh. Oh, there are so many things. Um, Love certainly brings joy Mm -hmm. um art brings joy knitting brings joy food brings joy um the creative process problem solving um, brings joy making connections between people ideas and things brings joy um laughter brings joy um, sometimes even tears. I'm, I'm someone who's dealt with a lot of grief mm-hmm. and strangely even um, accessing my grief can sometimes um, bring joy. Um, babies. I like babies. I'm a grandma. I'm really into babies. Um, that brings joy. I, I know. That. It's so weird. awesome. Super weird and super <laughs> awesome. The best thing ever. Um, uh, family uh, can bring joy. Um, overcoming obstacles, um, uh, brings joy. I can be really like driven to a certain goal and like getting over that goal, uh, really gives me joy. It kind of makes me a little high. Um, I'm a product, um, and, um, messed up by capitalism. Um, and a part of that means that I get a little high when I use a coupon. I really love saving money. <laughs> that brings me joy. Um, making things, um, gives me joy giving things to other people that make them feel good brings me joy um helping brings me joy uh saving lives brings me joy um silence brings me joy music brings me joy rhythm um and vibration brings me joy my ancestors um bring me joy my siblings, my immediate family, uh, my extended family, my chosen family 
brings me joy. Um, having a place in the world brings me joy. Having purpose brings me joy. I'm a very joyful person. A lot of things bring me joy. The sunshine brings me joy. Nature brings me joy. I love being in the woods. Brings me joy. Um, flowers bring me joy. Pulling weeds brings me joy. Tweezing whiskers brings me joy. Um, that was maybe a little too personal, but hey, I'm kind of an open book. Um, did I say food brings me joy? Food brings me a lot of joy. Brings me a little pain too, uh-uh, but it, it's mostly joy. Um, stars bring me joy. Swimming and being in water brings me joy. The ocean brings me joy. Animals bring me joy. So I'm a big dog lover. Brings me joy. Um, I said helping people, but also helping people help themselves brings me joy. Um, Seeing um, a dream come to fruition brings me joy. And and strangely enough, I, I get more joy from seeing other people's dreams come true mm. than even my own. I think that's part of my own work that I need to do, like giving myself permission to dream. Mm. Uh, I, I find myself so um, riveted by helping other people make their dreams come true. Sometimes I don't do it for myself like I know that I should. Mm. Those are some things that bring me joy. Those are great things. I have a lot. You know, you have, you, do you, do you do spoken word? Cause you have that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's one of my things. It's a, th- it's a real thing. It's a, it's, thing. A, it's a, it's good. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. It's funny. Cause like it, we know each other really well, but yeah. like then there's like all these things about each other. And this is, so this is also like the nature of my life very, very much, which is like, I do so many different, and it's kind of like weird and quirky things that like people, if they're not working with me in that sphere of that thing, right. they might not know about mm-hmm. that thing that I do. Um, yeah, which does remind me that I think I need to get um, a city registration so that I can use the indoor pools in the city because I'm training for the gay games for synchronized swimming. I'll be competing in 2018. Um, I I was just having this conversation earlier today about I also love swimming and don't do it as often as I should or or meaning it takes me time to get to the pools here but when I'm in that water it's like magic. It's magic. It is. It is. I'm a water Um, baby. So yes, you can belong to the New York Parks and Rec. It's like one hundred fifty dollars, one hundred twenty-five. I think maybe, maybe. Even. yeah, it's pretty um, reasonable. And you can that means you can go to any of any of the indoor pools. Um, I will say, I uh, having been a member for many years, it, it's fraught. It's fraught. Oh gosh, I need to know more about this because I need to like totally up my training because I recently found out that kindergartners take a year to pass level one in synchronized swimming. And to compete, you really should pass level one. In synchronized swimming? Yeah, there's 10 levels. Oof. I know, it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll talk more about that okay, offline because okay, uh, that's a whole, a whole different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, Stay tuned, listeners. Stay, Stay tuned. Exactly. For the twists um, and turns. I wanted to talk just a little bit and um, because... This I've asked you literally one question off my actual sheet. Of oh, sorry. But we've hit so many topics. They've just they've just been woven. But I, I am curious a little bit about 
um, how you make a living. (laughs) (laughs) That is, oh, this is the not so million dollar question. Right. So, so one of the things that we know is that as, as somebody who's chosen or decided, you know, knows I don't belong in the classroom on a, on a day-to-day basis as a classroom teacher or a school administrator, that is not my role. I am an artist. I am an artivist. I am an activist. I am a, I'm all these different things. Yeah. Um, and I love to work with young people and, and teach. That means that you're not working for one place, right? You're working for multiple places and you're also making your art and you're doing all these other things. So, and you have a family, you just said you have a soul sister and a daughters and son. Yeah. Son and a, a grandchild. Four grandchildren. Four. <laughs> Four. Four grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So you've got a big family mm-hmm. and you've got two homes. Is that correct? Yep. Two mortgages. Two mortgages. You know, so how do you, how do you, how do you make it work? How do you sustain uh, yourself? And you do sure remember you when I said living? I get high when I use a coupon, right? <laughs> you remember that part. I heard that, yes. So um, I got to say, and this goes back to my values, and it's interesting that you asked me about my childhood and upbringing because it's all connected here. Uh, so I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, when I was graduating from college, I got a job. It was great. It was a little bit easier, to be honest with you, in the 90s to graduate from college and get a job. I was the um, director of audience development and public relations for Mixed Blood Theater. Um, a huge job of which I was woefully, if I can use that word right here, unqualified for. Um, but I learned a gargantuan amount during that time, and I'm super grateful to Jack Ruler, the artistic director at that time, and still to this day, um, for giving me the opportunity. So I got a, I had a real job that had like a W two attached to it, and I just thought paying someone else rent money to pay their mortgage felt unfair. Just didn't feel. Right, like I'm giving you money to give the money to somebody else and like you're going to charge me a fee on top of it. It was like payday lending to me. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it had that kind of unconscionable, we're going to just continue to steal from you forever thing. You know, like I think there's a developmental stage in childhood where like they start getting really righteous about what's right and wrong. Mm, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's so. not fair. That's not right. Yeah, I never left it. I got stuck. So I couldn't see paying rent. So I started to look for trying to buy a house. I originally was going to buy a house with my older sister. Thankfully, as much as we love each other, that did not happen because the house probably would have imploded. But I ended up buying by myself. And I bought a house. Um, I was 20 years old. And um, that set me on a path to be able to um, utilize that. So I had roommates who helped me pay the mortgage. And... um, when other people had a TV or a DVD player or a stereo, I was buying a new um, furnace and um, putting in new basement windows. And so the money that other people spent on clothes or I, I, the number of CDs and DVDs, I, I, don't, I don't really own a DVD. I don't think I own a single DVD. I believe that is still true. Um, oh no, that's not true. I was given one, but, but yeah, I never purchased DVDs, that kind of like, so the things where people put their money, I was putting them into this house and that house served me really well. It helped to pay off my undergraduate student loans and pay off my car. Um, my car, I do have a car. Um, it was made in 1996 
It has 215,000 miles on it. Um, and I wonder every time I started if it will start again. But um, so I'm frugal. So that's one way that I do this. And then um, and then my, my wife, when she passed away, she uh, left me her house. And I was able to sell that house and get a smaller house that was actually a duplex. Mm-hmm. And so um, I rent out a unit and live in the other unit. And so that helps. doesn't pay for everything, but that helps. Um, so those are some of the ways that I do it. Um, and do you think that that part of that is your business acumen? Like when you were, you went to the business school that (laughs) summer, I learned more about table etiquette. I think that summer than I did about business acumen, but, um, I do think, uh, it has more to do with righteous indignation, I'm afraid. (laughs) Um, but, uh, cause I could really I could really actually use some help. So if you're listening and you're out there and you want to help me be a better business person, I could I, I could really use that because I'm I'm blessed and lucky. So the other way that I this manifests and comes together is that I work for great organizations who try really hard to pay me what they think I'm worth. Um, I also have been blessed to be able to use these skills as a facilitator and do facilitation training and sometimes work with clients who can afford to pay more money than a school or an arts organization or like most of my work, which is there's no money to pay at all. So I build up money like I'm a crazy old person who like stuffs it in the mattress. So um, and then when I need it, I just draw from it. So I'm, I, I, that's how my economics work. I have to stockpile large sums of money mm-hmm. in order to pay bills in an ongoing way. I have zero credit debt. I pay off my credit card in full every month or I won't buy the thing. Um, so that's how my economics works. Um, I could and should be doing better with that um i have failed i think is the appropriate word to insert here um at really developing a good personal business plan around all of this um it's something that for 14 years i've been saying i want to do better at so i hope that that um happens for me but but i've been really lucky like people call me and they say, will you come and do this? Will you facilitate that? Right. Um, I mean, I struggle to even like keep an accurate website. It's pretty abysmal. <laughs> but maybe you can find somebody to help you with that. I could. That would require me to ask for help, which yeah. I'm really good at helping other people and doing the help mm-hmm. connecting mm-hmm. and kind of like asking for help when it doesn't seem like it's going to directly benefit me personally. I'm really good at that. Yeah. I, I think this that is... that's an interesting thing. I was just, th- I was thinking about that, the, that the kind of women that I tend to gravitate towards and, and keep close to me are mostly women who are so strong and so giving that they don't actually ask for help or, and, or accept help if it's offered that, you know, and having gone through a, a period in my life where I, I knew I needed to ask though I wasn't necessary, it took me time to do so. But once I did, um, A, the people who, who stepped forward and, and helped were exactly the right people to do so and did it in exactly the way I needed them to do it and in ways that I didn't know that the, I needed them to do it. 
uh, you included. Um, and, and so I think that's a really interesting thing that there's something about I'm drawing parallels for a second between I, I like parallels. Your, I even like parallelograms. Your, your father daughter relationship and mine. Oh yeah. For a second, because I, I've been thinking about patriarchy a lot in general. Right? I mean, if everyone's honest, we've all been thinking about it, but I've been, I, I've been thinking be about it really seriously for the last couple of years and, and, uh, sort of looking at my male counterparts and wondering how come they don't work as hard as I do. <laughs> um, and, and yet they somehow there's an ex there's an expectation that that's fine. Oh, right. Yeah. And then I think, where did that come from for me? Especially I just told you in ninth grade, I was not, I was not that I'm not, I was not the person I am now. Um, or I was, but in, in different ways, not in the, in the, I guess, traditional sense of the hard work and ethics and stuff. But I remember being told by a black man, you work hard, you get things, you, you work twice as hard, you will, not that you have to work twice as hard, but if you do work hard, twice as hard, you will get things and you will be able to do things on your own for yourself without anybody else's help. Did you hear the same thing? Oh, except for, um, <laughs> you have to work twice as hard to get. Yeah. What I, I mean, he might've said have to, maybe I just heard, mm. uh, but he, he, there was, there was that like, you have to work hard. But yeah. Ah, yeah. <sighs> oh, you don't get something for nothing. You don't, you don't no. get something for, for something. You well, have to work more than that. Yeah. You always have to be, you always have to be better. It, and, and it's a, and it's a terrible burden. And I, and I wish I try really hard to dispel that in others, which is one of the reasons I think I am often very, very uncomfortable with compliments and praise mm -hmm. in part because I don't want to perpetuate that. You don't want to perpetuate the work harder. You get more because when I am praised for how hard I work, mm. I worry that it, I, I know, I know that it sends, you know, an unconscious or maybe even conscious message to others that to get accolades, to do good, you got to do more. And I really don't want to, I don't want to perpetuate that. And so, um, I get really scared. I, I get really uncomfortable about praise around that, but no, that I was completely told you have to, um, and I was told, I was told, and you may have experienced this too. I mean, I remember when I came out to my parents, um, you know, it was, it was actually a shockingly good experience. Um, and they, they had legitimate concerns. They're like, you're, black you're a woman you're fat you you come from you know they never said poor but low-income family um you got a lot going to get do you really you really <laughs> want to add one more to your dance card was their feeling and and as a as a parent or something like a parent now i i do understand that and i understood that then too um 
but it's that it's it it speaks to that same where does that drive and come from i think it is in part the the recognition that we have to i mean whether you i mean like we can talk about double consciousness and we can talk about quadruple consciousness and all of that um and i think that's a part of this too right mm. um and it, it it does have echoes of um and, and maybe not even echoes they might be screams you know of three-fifths a man and how to prove your wholeness i mean mm. it all of these things do come quite back to the yeah. circling back that wow. you have to we're constantly trying to prove our worth yeah um I just wonder also the, um, the reason why I'm asking is I had a conversation with somebody who, uh, in, in telling me their story, um, basically was like, I know how to, I know I'm a businessman, even though I do this other thing now and I have the ability, I've made a lot of money. I've made a whole lot of money by working the system essentially. And now I can, I can do whatever it is that I want to do. And I go for projects that are something that are passionate with me and I just am frugal and, and, you know, very, um, regimented in terms of how I spend my money. And, and there was a moment for me because as hard as I work, as much as I have, I still don't feel like I have, I don't have money stuffed into my mattress or anywhere really. I mean, I have some, but not, not what I think I should have. And so having, the same thoughts, like I should have a, a financial planner. I need somebody to help me with that, but yet I haven't done it. But there, but the, but so to go back to that person who does work hard, like that's not the, that's not my point. My, my point about that person is they had a leg up in some capacity because they are a white man and they, for whatever reason, were able to take advantage of whatever, whatever those yep. things are that I don't actually understand. Yep. And so how do I, how do I get a piece of that plus all the hard work that I do and the good work You want to know what? It's actually called reparations. And I don't know oh! if you want to have that conversation. <laughs> you, as a black person in America, you are born with a lower credit score. What? But think about it. It makes perfect sense. Redlining. Try getting a mortgage. See how that goes. Who, where's your wealth coming from? Wealth begets wealth. If you don't have it, where's it coming from? So I think, um, look, there's lots of people who can speak more eloquently than I can about reparations, but I do think that if we actually want to get real about that, we need to be thinking about alternative economic systems that are not capitalism. Uh, I do think reparations are a part of the answer. Uh, what reparations looks like, I think, will take a lot of artists um, to imagine because I don't think it's a check. I don't think it's blood-soaked, genocided land of other people. Um, so I think we got to get creative, creative about that. Um, you know, indigenous peoples all over the world um, have been tortured, killed um, because of greed. And so I think we need to replace greed with something um, much more powerful than greed and much more beautiful and restorative than greed. I think we need to, our relationship with the earth needs to be a part of this conversation. Um, you know, people wiser and smarter than I have said things like, um, I don't wanna live on the earth, I wanna live with it. I think those are the, that's the kind of uh, human practice, thinking about what are the indigenous ways of being such that we can live in greater harmony with each other and the world. 
Um, I think those are some of the answers to this problem of people not being able to sustain their lives because a system has been set up mm -hmm. such that you don't have access, Courtney Body, to the same information mm -hmm. um, and wealth to live the same kind of existence as someone else. I mean, I think, you know, financial literacy to me is also a part of the revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my father um, had a lot of different odds and ends jobs working um, in special ministries. And at one point he was teaching at Compton High School and was helping graduating seniors with remedial reading such that they might be able to balance a checkbook, read a gas bill figure out how to get their telephone turned on. And and those life skills, it's it's um, those are the things that when you are economically disenfranchised, access to basic information about the systems that are in place are denied to you. Uh, and so I think, you know, there's a lot of work to be done in that realm. And, and uh, I also, I do think that people who amass uh, large sums of money and wealth should be asking themselves how can I use that resource in ways that are benefit more than just me. Mm -hmm. I mean, greed is a, is a real horrible, terrorizing thing. Because greed, um, greed really requires that we hold on to, confiscate, mm -hmm. hoard mm -hmm. resources from other people, and that um, that's just horrible. And I and I can feel it in me too. You know, I I mean, I sometimes have weird fantasies about you know having no relationship to money. Um, at whatsoever, you know, I, it's not mine to have in the first place. It isn't mine. I mean, what is it? It's a piece of paper that someone else has attributed value to on the backs of, you know, predominantly people of color, whether it was um, the industrial revolution and railroads made by black folks and Chinese folks and um, migrant farm workers, slave labor, the whole, I mean, that, that, that's where all this comes from. So why am I playing complicit in this economic game? So I do have dreams about like, oh, I, I have no money, you have no money, like we just give it all away all the time. And, um, and that was sort of a problem that my father had. He was so uh, generous. He would give everything. And that, but it, it's also a beautiful value mm -hmm. that I now hold. I, I wish, I want to give more. So if you had time. Time, what's this thing you I call know. time? Time? I think it falls into that vacation and retirement. Yeah. Those are those other but, two words I don't know a lot about. Let's say you have time mm -hmm. to dream. Ah, yes. But not, I, I need you to, to Dream for yourself. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know where this is going. You know. Mm. What what 
where do you start? Like where, what would you like to share? Cause you know, sometimes dreams can be private, but what's a big dream for you for Signe? Well, this is a dream that I live in bits and pieces already. So, um, a dream that I have is, um, my grandkids spending summers with me in New York City. Um, and that's echoes of, of family histories that have been doing that for generation after generation. You go spend summers with your, your grandparents. So I, I want to do that for my grandkids in New York in the summers. Um, and there's a lot of things that have to be in place. And, um, and right now there's four. It's a one-bedroom apartment. Um, so it's going to be, you know, it's going to be awesome. Um, but I want, that's a dream I have. That's nice. It's a beautiful dream. It's awesome. I love this city. I think it's a special magical place. It's a, spe- it's a hot magical place in the summer too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And I do you need I, an air conditioner. I do fans. Do that. I mean, I have, <laughs> I have something that looks like an air conditioner in a sleeve. I just don't really. If you're going to have four children hang out I, in I know apartment. in one room I you know need to look we that. we did more with less I understand but that's a lot of bodies yeah, in yeah a hot yeah. box yeah <laughs> but I don't mean to stomp all over your dream no 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 it's one. good it's good it's true it's um true. so we're, we're sort of you know on the other side of 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 time for us but uh do you have any questions for me I mean, I'm, I do always, I always have questions. I, th- I just don't know how much time we have. It's and I, I, there's all the time. Like there's not a time stamp on it. Well, I guess, um, in hearing you share some of the things about your family today and questions that you have about the work you do now, mm-hmm. what for you is the what for you comes to the top of the you know the surface in terms of a question about your life's work what's the question that comes up for you as you have these conversations and you reflect mm. i'm When I was about, after I graduated, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in theater arts and I wanted to pursue acting, but didn't really feel like I had the, um, the technique. I I went to a a SUNY school, so it was not a conservatory. Right. And so I started working with, uh, an acting coach and the, I had to audition for her. And then in that audition slash interview, she asked me what, you know, what it, what do you want? What do you want to do? And I wasn't quite sure what she meant. And I was like, I, I just want to do good work. I just want to be good and work with people who want to create something good, which was so vague, <laughs> but true. Yeah. Um, and you know, really what she was asking, like, do you want Broadway? Do you want like, what's your, you know, film, do you want to go to Hollywood? And I was like, 
so she asked that and I said, no, no, I don't, I don't have that goal. I just want to, whatever project I choose, I want it to be, have integrity and be something that I'm interested in and that I'm working with people who are, have integrity. So I just want to do good work. So for me, I'm always interested in like who wants, who's making good work, who feels like they're going for something that is truly a part of who they are, that who they are and what is it extends to what they do. So for me, that's the, that's the big question around this. I just, I want to understand why people do this work. I want to understand how we help people do that, this work. I want to understand why, what we choose to do or why what we do has impact on the people that we work with. Really also, I want to know from those people what the, (laughs) if they interacted with the teaching arts or had arts, like what did that mean or has that meant or does it mean to them? Because I, I, I believe much like you, that art has the power to change the world. In, uh, you know, this week has been a hellish week. Um, and frankly, the, this year, 2016, has been pretty hideous. And yet, like you're saying in your garden, right? Your garden says, you know, hope and purpose. Like, there's a purpose for art. There's a, a joy in art. There's um, doors open through art. Everybody deserves to have art in their lives. There are people who, for whatever reason, either don't have art in their lives, but deserve it, um, for various reasons. And I, I, I think that if there's a way to penetrate all these, um, places where art, art likely exists, but it's, it's maybe, um, tramped down for a moment that there's little, you know, sprouts, there's opportunities for sprouts of flowers of art flowers that could happen that could change. Like the, when, uh, Sir Ken Robinson talks about, um, the flower that blossomed in the midst of the death Valley, death Valley, because uh, why that's, you know, like there's an, there, what do they call them? Food deserts. There are art deserts, right? But are there, are they really, or they do, they just need to be accessed by somebody like you, like other artists who can help foster and blossom or re-blossom. So that's what, that's what bubbles up for me, I think, is uh, I want to understand what more, you know, where I work, uh, you were talking about it before about how, you know, we need love and we, we can find ways to impact not only the department that we work in, but the, you know, how does that trickle out into the the rest of the organization or, or how can it impact or how can it inform? It's a similar process because that organization has a very specific uh, mission, right? So an organ one organization that cannot be all things to all people, but I think art can in all of its various forms can be something the same something to everybody. It just is a matter of finding its way to you through you in you, etc. 
Yeah, I mean, more and more, I, 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 I've been thinking of myself as an architect of space, mm-hmm. and I think that's what you're talking about, um, creating the space where that art can manifest, grow, evolve, mm-hmm. bloom, blossom, develop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think I, I'm not the one who can do all of that, right? So I'm curious to find ways to. Um, meet other people I'm starting right now I'm starting with people that I actually know and work with but hopefully in future I will be meeting people who I don't know and I will learn about what they do and how their work manifests and how it impacts and evolves blossoms etc um today today's word is etc brought to you by (laughs) etc um yeah so that's when there's more to say but we don't know what it is yeah (laughs) exactly it's good it's a good good. infomercial that was a good thanks tagline when there's more to say but you don't know what it is etc love you loving you (laughs) uh i gotta get back to my knitting you do oh i didn't i never asked you about the knitting yarn mission talk to me tell us we're knitting for the revolution black radical knitters honey look us up i'm not joking Uh, (laughs) say it it one more time um the yarn mission the yarn mission yeah Mm -hmm. it was it really has been saving people's lives it came out of ferguson protests and um some dope dope sisters um see how this art making activity can bring joy for the maker and joy for the receiver and can provide healing in places where um, it's desperately needed. So we knit for the revolution and it's been awesome. That's great. And your t-shirt? My t-shirt says, uh, be the change with a beautiful uh, image, which is the uh, power tree, which is for the Million Artist Movement, drawn by Delon Shelton. And the Be the Change, I think we get what that is. It's about doing what you can. And the power tree actually is the framework for our movement. So the hand on the bottom of the tree, which is the roots, it's kind of a deconstructed black power fist, represents the things that ground us. And that work looks like honoring and learning about our ancestors, our revolutionaries, our sheroes, um, mourning and celebrating the lives of those who um, have lost, explicating the narrative, which means um, learning about reclaiming um, our own histories and our ideas about ourselves. And that's the work that grounds us and holds us steadfast. Mm The trunk of the tree represents black liberation and true freedom and justice. Um, And the branches represent the many different ways that we contribute to that struggle. So maybe that looks like hugging a child or doing a workshop in a classroom, or maybe it looks like marching down the street, or maybe it looks like loving yourself. Maybe it looks like writing letters to uh, folks who are incarcerated. Maybe it looks like donating money. Maybe it looks like any number of things and they don't have to be ideologically aligned, but if they are for the pursuit of black liberation, then we see them as a part of the movement and no tree can survive without water. And so we water our movement with love. And so all that we do is kind of embodied inside of this power tree. And we believe that people 
power change and art powers change. So that's art is be the change. Art is be the change. Um, Millionartistmovement.org. Thank you. No, and it's good. not really a commercial, but <laughs> but we can we can definitely share that information. Um, I feel like the the theme of of our conversation has been mm-hmm. love. Are you trying to put a label on it like you do a lesson plan? No. Oh, okay. No, I, no, I, I wasn't. I, <laughs> I was down for that. Yeah, you know, we could. We could. Yeah, that the could theme. Le- What's the theme? What? How do we want to coin this? No, I thought you had an idea. Yeah, I, I was just saying that that it was. It's definitely been love, loving oneself, loving others, loving strangers, loving family, friends, joy, joy in giving, joy in receiving, joy in making. Um, and yes, yeah, so, uh, self-identity. Did you say that? feel like I got to learn a lot about who Signe Hardy is and and seeing a, a lot of me and her and also being really interest, interested in like how we are different. Isn't that beautiful? It is. It's always beautiful to, to, to learn more about your friends. But I mean, also if every look to, Lily looked the same. Right? Or Snowflake. Oh. But as they are, <laughs> glorious. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for your time and your beautiful poetry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Can you take that compliment? I, I, that's the proper response. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, if you were, if you were to be invited to a roundtable topic discussion, what would you want the topic to be? Who's coming? I don't know. Name the topic, and we'll figure out who's coming. Mm, I want to go the other way around. I want okay. to know who's going to be there and Ooh. then pick the topic. Nice. Only, only be, and, and that's actually, that's, that's not just me being, um, uh, divisive or, or pushbacky. Sure. It's really true because the, the kinds of, com- this is one of the cool things about the work that I do is I get to have lots of different kinds of conversations mm-hmm. and not everyone, I, I'm not interested in having the same conversation with just a lot of different people. I'm really interested in having a conversation that comes out of understanding who might be at that table. Great. So let's, let's go that route then. Okay. Who would you want to be in a round table with mm. knowing what this project is? Ooh, you stumped me. Okay. So I think I would want to be, um, I'm going to give you categories a little bit. Okay. I would like to be at the table with arts policymakers, people who can influence policy around art and legislation, uh, big funders, other artists. I mean, they don't all have to be there at the same time. Um, and I would want to be at the table with um, someone who could speak their truth about what art has meant to them. I, I might want to be at that round table mm. um, as a way to bear witness and consider how we might 
move forward in a more expansive and impacting, positively impacting way in the work we do. I'll get right out of that. Good. <laughs> get out of the Rolodex. You got one of those? I got, I got a few. But that's the beauty of the these conversations, right? That they are ongoing and to bring other voices in. And I, I like, I tend to think in categories, but I was thinking in topic categories. So I like that it's, you know, who who could be around the table. Then we figure out what the, the conversation would be about. Both in the methods, awesome. Oh yes, but that's my that's that's one of my core values is to be open to other ideas. Me too. Because collaboration is better is than the bomb. just alone. That's what I think. We agree. We do. Synergy. Synergy. Um, well, thanks again. Thank you. Thank Th- you and seriously, thanks. It's it's a little awkward talking about myself for this long of a period of time, but I appreciate the opportunity it gave me a chance to reflect and think about things some things i hadn't thought about in decades and uh some things that were really great to revisit so thanks for that opportunity thank you for sharing all of those things and for trekking all the way from harlem to the bk so what's up that's what's up um well big shout out to the sound engineer bi- big shout out to ben weber our sound engineer slash producer um for steadfastly holding your mic for uh a good a good portion of time is a good portion and um setting us up for some success signing off deuces <laughs> thank you for listening to episode six act two of teaching artistry with courtney j body signy haraday the radical poetry of a calling join us next time for our conversation with lauren jost teaching artistry with courtney j body is edited and produced by ben weber Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.